Relating to Self. A podcast that helps you create a better relationship with yourself. Hey, I'm Joachim. Welcome. Do you realize that there is only one relationship that you will always be in? The relationship with yourself. Improving that relationship changes everything. On this podcast, I share my thoughts and I invite real people to have vulnerable conversations about how they relate to themselves and what we can learn from that. Today's episode is a conversation with a wonderful woman who runs the Sex Homework Society. Her name is Hanin. Enjoy. Hey, Hanin. It's so good to have you here. Hi. It's so good to be here. I'm so happy. Yeah, before we start, I kind of want to say that it feels as if my relationship to myself is already improving just from allowing myself to be here with you in this conversation. Yeah. And I also want to add that the very, the email that you sent me around this podcast where you said, like, it's, it could go wrong. It probably will go wrong. We can mess up and that's totally okay. And that's expected. Like it was just something so inviting about mm. that tone like just yeah it's okay to mess up i really enjoyed that so just for context for the listeners out there this is the very very first time that i have a conversation like this on the podcast and so this is a first for everyone uh, hence you know if things go wrong we'll fix that it will not be a problem so my intention for today is mm. to just have a beautiful conversation with you about relating to self, self-love and all things related. But first, I thought it was important to tell my audience who you are. And I talked to you about this. I think it's an interesting idea to try to introduce each other. So I'm going to say a few words about who you are or who I believe you are and what you mean to me. And then you can do the same. How does that sound? That sounds beautiful. Yeah, I'm looking forward to being able to introduce you. <laughs> <laughs> Great. So, Hanin. What do I know about Hanin? Hanin is a lawyer, but her mission is to help people improve their sex lives, most of all. <laughs> <laughs> and this is also the context in which I have first encountered Hanin. I was one of the participants in the Sex Homework Society, which is a sex education course that Hanin runs. Mm. And I really enjoyed it. And I immediately felt drawn to Hanin. I was like, hmm, beyond the scope of the course, I felt that Hanin was someone that I wanted to connect with and, and get to know. And so the words I associate in my mind with Hanin are joy, playfulness and a certain truthfulness like i feel hanin is real hanin is always who she is and she expresses what is real for her in a way that is humble and simple and beautiful and i truly appreciate that I really received that. Thank you. <laughs> that was, yeah, really touching to hear. And yeah, 
Is it my turn now? May I introduce you? Please, feel free. Um, sometimes I can't believe that I've only known you for a year and only through an online context. I've never actually felt your presence in real life, which just, I feel like I have somehow. And to me, what drew me and draws me to you is just how much you embody love and a huge sense of compassion that I always feel from you. Like every time I feel joy, I feel your joy for my joy and I feel your sadness for my sadness. And I almost see you sometimes as a mentor in this world, like this idea of yeah, being so grounded and true to yourself and practicing what you preach and just all around inspires me to be a better human. And I also, yeah, had the privilege to go on that journey of sex homic society with you, but I do feel like our relationship has gone so much beyond that. And the words I'd use to associate with you taking your cue are, I'd say depth, love, and sincerity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and you have probably the sexiest voice known. <laughs> <laughs> That's mine. Oh my God. Thank you, Hanin. Thank you. Well, I hope that voice will help to, you know, get this podcast to a place where I can feel happy about it. That'd be wonderful. 100%. Yeah. Thank you so much. Beautiful. So, um, now that we have established who we are, I would love to know when, when we speak about relating to self, the way you relate to yourself, what comes up for you? Hmm. So for me, the relating to myself sounds like the dialogue I have with myself and my parts and it's the way I treat myself, almost the way I would treat a friend. How much do I listen to myself, my gut, my desires, my needs? Do I validate that? Do I communicate that? How much can I, how present can I be with myself? Not just in the times of where I'm feeling joyful and happy, but also in the times where I'm feeling in those quote unquote negative places where I'm feeling hurt, frustrated or irritated. Um, and I think a lot of that comes down to yeah, presence and compassion that's what comes up for me when I relate mm. to self. Yeah, that's that's beautiful. I, I resonate with a lot of what you say. I really like that you started by saying that it's a dialogue with parts of yourself. Mm-hmm. I think that that's one of the concepts that I use a lot as well. Thinking of myself as a group of different personalities or different desires that then can speak to each other. And so I wonder, how did you get there though? Because I feel this is something that is not self-evident i feel a lot of people don't have that insight um so how did that happen for you how did you come to believe that you can have a conversation with yourself inside of yourself Mm, it's a lovely question it's definitely taken lots of self-discovery and 
uh, just a whole journey around psychology, sex, play, becoming friends with myself. <laughs> and I think the probably the biggest shift for me was studying a psychotherapy model called internal family systems. And it introduced this concept, actually pretty much as you've said, this idea that we're made up of different parts. It might be um, a procrastinator part, a manager part that keeps us distracted, an inner critic, um, a sad a part that feels, that shames us, the part that, um, what, like the multiplicity of the mind. And we all have that and they're all great and it's what makes us us. But at the very, very core, we all have a self, like the, with a capital S which is made up of the eight C's of like calmness, compassion, curiosity, confidence. And to me, relating to self is, can we have that self to part connection? So whenever we notice that we're leading from a part that might be um, sad or hurt, can we be curious about that and understand its intention for us? and get to know it more rather than being so blended with it that it kind of takes over and we don't actually feel like, I feel a sense of lack of agency in those situations. So for me, relating to self, my understanding of that grew through studying this model because mm, I really felt, wow, yeah, that self yeah, was the that's, most important. That's powerful, I feel. Um, and that's a path that I have not taken myself. So that's really interesting. I, I have not like officially studied any of this, um, but it's good to feel that you kind of arrive at the same concept. Um, mm. I really loved what you said when you said like becoming friends with myself. I think that's such a beautiful phrase. Mm. And then also what comes up for me is this idea of basically not identifying with what you feel in any moment, right? Like when you feel angry or unseen or whatever it is, remembering that you are not just that and then from that place having a conversation yeah. i'm i'm really curious though because well you've studied this for real which is awesome um <laughs> before you studied this was this something you were exploring for yourself as well or did all this awareness around this just grow from these studies mm. i think it was there um Absolutely. I think self-love, I'm sure people are, have their own interesting relationship with it. Um, and I didn't, I don't think I necessarily understood relating to self as distinguished from self-love. Mm. And um, I think self-love was that journey I was on before. And it was almost this unattainable, like standard I had to get to. And this constant being like, why can't I just love myself enough? That's like what the self-help culture is telling me that I should do. It's the root of all of my problems. Why can't I be like that? And it was that it's exactly that shoulding that prevented me from really like stepping into that place. Um, and for me, the real test is when I can relate to myself, not just in times when I'm feeling great, but also the the tough times in the same way that it's all very well meditating on a on a rock with the breeze in your face. But can we weather like triggering, triggering family situations with that same sense of like care and kindness? Um, so yeah, I think the way in which I was exploring it before the therapy was probably around my attitude, like my relationship with my inner critic, 
I think I've been particularly strong in a critic. My work ethic is very strong because I came from a conservative background where like all that mattered was what I achieved, the experiences I had, how many friends I had, how many, what I was doing. And so it was, con- it was difficult to just be like, just be in the stillness. Um, and it was that dichotomy that like really prevented me from just listening to myself and my needs because it was overridden by the voices of society and what I should be doing. <sighs> so yeah, though it was definitely there, but I don't think it really clicked until I really just stepped into the world of therapy and actually started discovering it in sex as well. But maybe mm. that's a tangent. Um, yeah, I, I really relate to what you just said about the difference between self-love and relating to self. I think that's also the reason that Well, I use the term self-love because it's relatable for people, but I prefer to speak about relating to self because, well, the way I usually talk about this is something like relating to self happens even when you don't love yourself. And in that sense, it's a much more important concept for me of continuously navigating what is going on in my life, especially in periods where, like you said, maybe it's hard to love yourself. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I feel, yeah, very much, um, I don't know, I guess I feel resistant sometimes at that word self-love. It just feels so charged, right? (laughs) Yeah, and I love how you pointed out that there's this culture out there, this this wellness or new age culture that is like, you know, it's all about self-love and you should be self-loving all the time. And that's just frankly impossible. That's an unattainable kind of goal. So it's not very helpful, I feel. Yeah. Let's shift into something else. I'm I'm really curious to how you actually practice this now, because it's very clear that you have a very strong understanding of like the theoretical concepts around this. But for example, could you tell me about a moment in which you have acted really lovingly towards yourself and that you felt like, wow, my relationship with myself is so good? (laughs) That question makes me smile. I have two examples because one is I feel like the time where I really feel loads of self-love for me is actually during times of deep play um, where I am completely uninhibited by what I should be doing and I'm totally listening to all the little impulses without filtering any of that, just like fully showing up and being silly and like letting go of that rigidity and just playing, which for me happens a lot in dancing and sex. And I think that's where my relationship to self really comes alive, my authenticity, um, it's just pure Hanin. A contrasting example, which I feel I have less examples of, are when I'm experiencing something challenging and then I extend, I relate to that challenging situation with love. I feel like that's the true test, as, as I've been saying a few times. That, and I think I have... I think I do that particularly well when I'm in a state of like even just a few days ago, if I feel really emotional and hurt, Mm. just really being with that, being with that sadness and not trying to stop it and get on with something else um, and really honoring it. And there's something really juicy. Like I love actually being in those feelings. There's something really powerful about it because I know it's trying to tell me something. And so I think I'm pretty good at sitting, noticing what's coming up for me, validating that and really seeing it. Um, 
it's why i think yeah (laughs) go on (laughs) I, i just love that like this ability you have to love sitting with your feelings no matter what they are i think that's so powerful Thank you. Yeah. yeah. I'm really curious, though, about this, what you call deep play. Uh, let's go there, because I feel that's one of definitely one of the challenges I have uh, play in general. <laughs> and then when you talk about deep play, I'm like, oh, wait, there's a level beyond play. Like, ooh. so um, oh, yes, Chris. <laughs> yeah. How, how would you define deep play? What does that mean for you? Mm. Pure, unfiltered, uninhibited, unapologetic self-expression just to me it's almost like a connection with some people might call it like your spiritual self or your child self but to me deep play is about expressing yourself through not just your words but through your body through your voice through through art um for me it particularly comes out through my body um, in the way that I express my body language. It's why I love dancing and sex so much. So I think there's something about this, something about showing up and meeting. I think play, it's interesting actually, because I think I can play really deeply when I'm in the presence of another person. Mm-hmm. And so what does play look like on your own? I'm not really sure. That's something I would love to explore more of. Uh, I do question why does it come alive when I'm with someone? Is does play have to be with an interaction with another human? That's really interesting you ask that because that was going to be my next question. No way. Um, yeah. Well, I, it feels like from what you say that when you dance, and I guess you can dance on your own, and you can still access that idea of uninhibited self-expression in your own dance, and that would be a state of deep play just with yourself. Mm, that's true. There's... I do dance on my own quite frequently and there's something that has a different flavor to it when I'm on my own, I feel. Mm -hmm. Um, If there's something about being seen and witnessed in a play that somehow makes me, allows me to go deeper as though it's more meaningful. And I kind of would love to extend that invitation to myself on my own. Um, I, I, I mean, as I'm saying, I'm thinking, why, why do I not give myself that permission to go deeper? What is it about the presence of the other person? I don't know if you have any, thoughts on that or if that's something that you have also encountered i think that's a really interesting point actually and i think it has a lot to do with this idea of being witnessed Mm -hmm. i think both being witnessed is incredibly powerful just as a as a concept Uh, whether it's when we own our own emotions or when we have a conversation with someone else that's difficult witnessing by by a third party is incredibly powerful and i don't really know why that happens i just experience it so I really feel that there is something important about this idea of deep play being witnessed that allows you to go deeper. But I think that is still distinct from actually deep playing with someone. So I think there's three layers there. It's like one, a state of deep play just with yourself, maybe yeah. dancing in my living room. I do that sometimes. Then a state of deep play in which you are witnessed by someone who could just be watching. And then maybe a sense of deep play where there is a, an exchange where there's not just you expressing yourself, but also you seeing someone else express themselves in relationship to what you're doing. And and that becomes, I guess, something more than what both individuals could bring on their own. Yeah. Oh, just 
I feel so juicy when you say that. Like, I just feel like I come so alive when there's this, like, this game and this interaction and you're building on each other. And I think that even happens now, like, in conversation where you're yes. really listening to, like, how this person is showing up and then, like, building on that. And there's something so <laughs> validating and, like yeah joyful about that <laughs> i absolutely agree that's that's how i define a good conversation for myself it's when i have the feeling that the two people speaking are building something that they could never have built on their own mm. you know when there's like an extra layer yeah. and i really like that and i agree that it's present right now so that's let's keep it yeah. going um <laughs> there's one thing that came up for me when you mentioned like what deep play means for you and that is that it feels related to the sense of flow that I've read about. I can never pronounce the name of the person who came up with that. Me either. <laughs> um, but it's a, it's a, it's something that has been important in my life. When especially when I work, I associate it more with work. Um, but of course, I've done a lot of work in my life to make my work kind of like play or something that I enjoy doing. So because of that, I entered a state of flow when I work. And I wonder if this state of flow for you is also something that is similar to deep play or is it related or are they distinct concepts for you that is a great question i've never been asked that before my my first initial reaction is to say there is definitely an overlap but i think they can also be separate um i'm challenging that even as i say that because <laughs> my like most strongest examples of play which are yeah like going to zook marathons where i just dance like for 24 hours straight without stopping wow. or you know where i'm in wait what just pause pause for a second <laughs> Are you, did you just say that you dance for 24 hours straight without stopping um more or less yes i think you get about <laughs> maybe half an hour naps here and there there's like yeah water on tap and enough <laughs> chocolate to keep you going but dancing is a drug so i don't seem to need sleep when i'm dancing oh my God, wow I'm in yeah. awe of you right now. <laughs> Please continue. Oh, um, yeah, and I, I do feel there's something trance-like about the state that I go into there. And it's sort of a an extension, almost as though I'm, I'm living on a different plane. I'm not quite here mm. on, in this world and I lose sense of time. And I think that's very much flow. Um, but then I'm not sure if I'm... Is Palais more about creation? Um I'm trying to see if I feel that there's a difference. I think inter like when when someone says the word play, I almost think of comedy sometimes or like silliness and laughter and flow. I guess it doesn't have to have that all the time. Um, <laughs> so I think, yeah, if I dispel with that notion that, oh, play has to be this thing that's incredibly silly, um, then I do think there's a they, they are perhaps one in the same thing. Yeah, I would I would like to to reframe a lot of what I do as a state of deep play. I, I think that would be wonderful life if if I mm -hmm. can have a state of deep play throughout the day, doing different kind of things. Some of them may be silly, some of them may involve others, but some of them may just be solitary, non silly things. But I, it still <laughs> feels like deep play. I think that would be a wonderful way of relating to myself. So now um, you seem to be someone who is really present to themselves, right? Who, who It seems you mastered the art of relating to self from, yeah. from where I sit. Yeah, really, you're, you're doing sure an, an amazing that. job. <laughs> <laughs> but so let's go into maybe the, the opposite of that. Like what is 
what is still difficult for you when it comes to relating to yourself? Where are your troubles? Oh, so much bubbles up for me as you say that. I was like a little bit, I was felt honored that you said that I was an expert in relating to self. I feel there's so much growth for me left. One of the things that come up for me is this balance of relating to myself in the present, like the present versus future self. And sometimes there's this kind of like tension between the two. And I kind of constantly worry and overanalyze that if I'm relating to myself kindly now, is that a disservice to my future self? Um, could I end up going down the slippery slope of being so nice to myself that I become complacent and then don't chase after like a, a goal or something in the future? So it's that like dance, I find that difficult to balance. Um, that's the first one. The second challenge is probably presence on my own. So we're circling back to what we said before. So it probably appears that I'm incredibly present, but there's something about, again, a connection with another human that allows me to go into that deep state if you were to be a fly on the wall while I'm like working or in my own space, I think I'm so distractible. I'm constantly like, oh, what do I need to do next? What's on my to-do list? It's kind of very unconscious and I can lose sight of, take a deep breath. How do I feel? How do I think? And I'm layering more of that in. Um, I'd say those are my two biggest challenges. Um, and finally, just being with I think I'm a very idealistic person I'm constantly chasing this like I need to be in a state of blissfulness and happiness and joy and nothing I, I'm running away from like the the uncomfortable places so for me the biggest growth edge would be if I can really just um appreciate that that's what makes like all those colors of Hanin is what makes life enriching and that I can really be in those states um, and relate to them with, with kindness. I've thrown a lot at you, sorry, but... <laughs> mm, no, I love it. I love it. It's great. Um, let's go through them. Like, I'm, I'm super curious. <laughs> Present Hanin versus future Hanin. That is such a good one. Definitely also something I think about a lot and that I try to navigate for myself. Um, this idea of goals comes into play, as you said. Mm. And, and yeah, I, I don't have like a definite answer to that, but I would love to know how you, how you currently navigate this idea of future Hanin and what you want to do for future Hanin. Do you have some kind of like framework that you use to decide whether or not you want to just give in to the desire you feel in this moment? For example, no, I want to eat the whole cake. And then the idea of future Hanin, who's like, Hmm, if I eat this whole cake, I probably won't feel great tomorrow. Like, yeah. Do you have a process there? Like, how, how do you do that? So, yeah, it's a, that's a really great question. But first, I want to proceed that by saying that I'm not a, um, I don't consider myself a very disciplined person. Uh, I also really hate rules and I quick, I'm very quick to feel like I'm imprisoned by habits in some sense. So I'm curious to talk to you more about that. I think I'm much more, I feel it out and I'm, I don't think I necessarily have a, like strict um, rules about things, but I have certain values. So for me, if I, I my health and fitness is a high priority, for example, um, my relationships, I hold really deeply. I lead with my heart um, and 
uh, let's say, what else is really important to me? Self-expression and play is super important to me and adventure. So if we even just take those three pillars, for example, is what I'm doing on a daily basis helping me and aligning me with those three kind of values, those goals, or is it detracting from that? Um, And I think that just sort of comes intuitively to me. Um, I, I tend to be quite hard on myself. So I notice that I look out for my future self a little bit more than my present self. Um, And so my way, I guess my framework of checking in on that is because I'm so connected to my body I will notice if I'm in a state of tension or if my body feels, if I'm, my stomach feels contracted or my throat feels tight or I feel tired or emotional. That to me is like, oh, warning signal. Okay, something's not right. And then feeling, and if that's the case, then clearly I need to take care of my present self and I've perhaps been neglecting what I need right now in this moment. So that's probably more how I do it. Um, incredible i absolutely love it i think that comes back to one of the things that i wanted to speak to you about as well this idea of the body as a gorge like to understand what's going on just tune into the body so i love Mm -hmm. that you say like my way of making sure that i know that i need to take care of present hanin is to check in with my body i think that's wonderful and i would add to that that when i feel like yeah my desire is to eat the whole cake that's usually kind of like, I try to make that like a, a trigger point for me to think like, wait a second, mm. why is that? <laughs> why yeah. do I want to eat the whole cake? And I usually find that it's not because of a real desire that I have, mm. but it's because I'm avoiding something. It's because I'm feeling something that I want to numb. You know, if I, if I feel uncomfortable or unhappy in some way, I know that just throwing a lot of sugar at my body will make me feel different. And then that for me also becomes the idea of like, okay, it's not just about how I feel my body right now. It's also about what am I trying to avoid by engaging in this? And that makes a lot of difference for me. I love this distinction. I have a slight challenge on that because I wonder if you can identify that, for example, you wanted to eat the cake in order to numb a certain feeling could you then decide to still eat the cake intentionally knowing that? And is that still a good example of relating to self? <laughs> That's a great question, Annie. That's a great question. Um, I've been thinking about this week, actually. And I think that, yes, sometimes, if done intentionally, numbing yourself is not a bad idea. Mm. I think you can be compassionate with that. It's like, yes. I can sit with my difficult feelings all day long. You know, I can hold space for them. It's not a problem. But then sometimes maybe I just need a break from that. And maybe the cake is a bad example because obviously sugar is really bad for you. But for me, that would be like, hey, I will allow myself to watch something on Netflix and intentionally deciding that I do that because I'm tired of just sitting with my discomfort. And I think that's still loving in a way. Yes. Yeah, I'm relieved to hear you say that because I think I definitely feel the pressure of the shoulds, you know, like you should sit with your feelings and be there constantly and never abandon yourself. And I think that's quite a high standard to be pressure. I think if if people can acknowledge that there is that pressure and and just tune into, you know, as you said, I love that you use the word intentionality a lot. As long as you're consciously aware of what you're doing, I think 
I mean, maybe that can be a slippery slope and become an excuse. <laughs> Everything is like, I'm intentionally aware sure, all the time. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I think there, what, what is important is that you keep being real to yourself. You keep being truthful. Like, mm. is, it, is it true that I have the intention to give myself a break from sitting with my difficult feelings? Or is it just something I'm saying to watch Netflix all day long? Yeah. You know, um, I think, <laughs> and that takes practice. I think maybe in the beginning, and that's a concept that I've been using a lot with myself as well, and it's a very compassionate kind of concept, I believe, is that I know nothing. There are so many things about myself that I don't understand. And so I allow a margin of error, let's say, in how I navigate that, because I am not aware of everything I should be aware of. And I do not feel everything that's present in me all the time. So sometimes maybe I do things that, in retrospect, I would label as not really self-loving or not a great example of relating to myself. But that mm. will happen. And I know that will happen. And yeah. I allow that to happen. Oh, God, I just had a couple of questions that came to me from what you've said. One is, when you're aware that you haven't done something that isn't perhaps self-loving or relating to self healthfully, it strikes me that it would be great to have a good self-forgiveness practice as well. Mm. What does that look like for you? If mm. Yeah. Wow, yeah. Um, thank you for that question. I think you are absolutely spot on. Mm. I think my the, the core of my relating to self is I have three pillars. Mm. Compassion, gratitude, and forgiveness. Mm. And so I have a forgiveness ritual that I often engage in. It's extremely simple. Um, I've written about it. It's available on the internets. Um, and I think it's one of the most powerful things I do. There is something about forgiveness that I never really understood in the past, and it's really simple. Um, I always felt as if forgiveness was something we did for the other. Mm. But in truth, forgiveness only is meaningful for the self. If I forgive someone because they did something in the past, that person will not even know that. They will not feel a change. I will feel a change. The forgiveness comes from myself. And the same thing applies for forgiving myself. But of course, there, the, the, the perpetrator and the person who forgives are kind of like the same person. So giving myself the permission to forgive myself is a shift in mindset that changes everything. I feel so much spaciousness hearing you just describe that. Mm. It's, it reminds me of the definition of resentment, which is drinking poison and expecting somebody else to die like and i think that's what like the state before forgiveness happens i can be in that state of like resentment and it doesn't serve anyone and actually forgiveness is that process of releasing that and absolutely yeah and in a, in a very very simple model you could say everything i do is about tension and release mm. tension and release oh that reminds me of sex tell me more about that tension and release <laughs> <laughs> I would love to, but I'm still exploring that concept for myself. So it's a bit unformed, but I think, you know, I'm a, I'm a musician originally. Um, so a lot of what music is about, a lot of what drives music is about creating tension and then releasing it. It's about dissonance and then consonance. And so I'm trying to use that concept in, in relationship to how I feel about myself and how my body functions also. There it's the same thing. It's like very often when you tune into your body, you feel a tension. And then it's about how do I release that tension? 
And it's a it's a never-ending journey because obviously the body will never be completely free of tension because new tensions happen all the time. So I feel this whole game or, or the, the whole playfulness of relating to self is all about navigating these tensions and then these releases. And forgiveness, I think, is one of the most powerful principles for creating release. I love that. I especially love that because I'm almost hearing that tension for you is... Is, is, can be, is and can be a good thing. We always perceive tension to be something negative, but actually that's what makes the release that much sweeter. Um, so I don't that's know if you're... A, yeah, I, I like that. I mean, that doesn't mean that I would say like, you know, you have to create tension in your life intentionally. That's, that's not the idea. <laughs> but I think there is something about tension that is beautiful because it also points, at, points us at what is worth looking at. You know, if I feel tension about a certain concept um, or a certain person or how they behave, and that's where, for example, something like the idea of shadow work comes in, that the things I feel tense about in other people's behavior are probably things I haven't learned to accept in myself. So, mm-hmm. so there this idea of tension as a, a navigation tool to see where you can improve your relationship with yourself is, is really helpful. I love that. That really feels like it maps onto that thing I was describing around keeping in tune with the body, noticing any tension there and allowing that to be your compass, so to speak. Yes. Yes. And I think for me, I mean, the body obviously is an amazing tool, but I feel some of the things I feel tense about don't necessarily happen in my body. I feel I, I have a similar concept for the mind. You know, I feel tense about certain things in thinking. And that probably means that I haven't got enough clarity yet about them. So there it's like, you know, I have some ideas, I have some thoughts, but they're a bit blurry. And that feels like tension, even if it doesn't sit in my body. And then, well, the, my, my process for that is is mostly journaling, it's writing, it's trying to gain clarity about thoughts. I really like that. I, I would love to point out that um, I feel as though I should be journaling more, because I, I guess for people listening in, those who don't vibe with journaling, I want to say that I'm also with them. Like I find that sometimes being on my own and being really introspective in that way, I am a bit blind and I can go down the same rabbit holes and I almost need somebody kind of pull me out and soundboard. And I find that actually speaking to someone can help me come out of that circling and then going more into, as I call it, spiraling where you're getting closer to the issue. Um, so yeah, I think different things work for different people, but I, I love that journaling is, is powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I agree with you. I mean, journal is good for certain things. And then for other things, it's easier to have a mirror, to have someone reflect things to you. I think a lot of the work that I'm doing is also related to expanding my ability to be that mirror for myself. And Mm. that comes back to what you were saying in the beginning, like, you know, this idea of having conversations with parts of yourself. That's almost the same thing. So if if you can map those other people that you need to have certain insights to those parts of yourself that you can then communicate with. It's almost as if, you, as if you're asking yourself those questions. So you yeah. become the other person and then journaling becomes easier. Yes. That strikes me as so self-resourceful and this ability to self-regulate actually is a big part of relating to self so that we feel equipped to and empowered to be there for ourselves, not a sense of helplessness. And I think, yeah, it's a spectrum. I suppose it's, you know, you want a bit of both this ability yes. to be coping and self-regulated absolutely yeah i think it's really important to acknowledge that we are social beings right Mm. we we need others 
And so the goal of relating to self for me is never to be absolutely, completely self-sufficient. That would be disregarding my humanity. I need others. And I think the, the distinction there for me is that I am not dependent on others for managing or navigating my own self. I think that is for me the core of the issue. If I need others just to navigate myself, then that's a very difficult position to be in. But I think, of course, others are a great way to learn more about the world and to then navigate what comes up in that. And there is a richness about gaining insights and reflections from others that you would never have with just yourself. But that basic kind of like ability to deal with whatever happens inside of you on your own, I think is a very meaningful and beautiful thing to strive for. Oh, I love that. I hope that, that I feel like I've just learned something there, like what, how to relate to self in the presence of another. How does that work? And I think you've just articulated that really well, this idea of really staying true to your own needs and desires while able to see the other person's like being able to appreciate how they show up as well because I think so often I can override that and get lost in inside another person and I forget to relate to self because I'm so busy perhaps people pleasing and yeah so I think that could be like another growth edge for me is like how to really relate to self even in the presence of others um staying true to myself in those situations yes I mm. resonate with that very much I I am definitely with you on that um mm. that's my biggest challenge keeping yeah. this beautiful relationship I have with myself in the presence of others, especially when they are challenging. That yeah. is, that is the work. Yeah. But that brings us back to the second point that you, because we were on a bit of a tangent here and I love it. It's beautiful, but I want to come back to like the, what, what was difficult for you in relating to self still. And your second point that you mentioned was to have this presence to yourself when you're alone. And I think that's a beautiful segue into this. Um, why do you think that is difficult for you? Wow. I think it's because, I mean, this is all tying so juicily together. Um, I feel as though I've been so reliant on others around me to regulate me, to be there for me, to show up, to bring me out of my funks, to bring me joy and I've almost sort of forgotten that I can do that for myself I have to almost relearn that I am my own source of love that my heart is mine that my sadness is mine um, to have a real sense of self independently from others and that's come from my childhood my attachment wounds all of that stuff so that's the journey I'm on. I think that's why I struggle to do this on my own because I maybe don't value my own resourcefulness somehow. I yeah. love how you expressed that when you said, maybe I have forgotten that I can do that for myself, yeah. which points <laughs> at the fact that you knew, you know, you, you already had that ability and then somehow you just lost sight of it. I, I love that as a concept because it's so much easier to think about how can I get back to my innate knowledge of how to take care for myself than to think in terms of, you know, I've never learned this. I don't know how to do this because that sounds much more difficult. Mm. How did you come to that? Like this, this idea of like, wait, 
this is innate. I know how to do this, but then I've forgotten. Mm. First of all, I believe we all have that ability. I think it's innate in everybody. And it's about the reason I think I, I know it's innate is because I have moments where I come back to it. I feel my source of, of empowerment, usually in those. So if everyone thinks about when is the time you most feel alive and empowered um, and seen and then channeling that energy, I call it our eroticism. And it's in those moments where I'm like, wow, I really do appreciate and love myself. Um, and it's just I lose sight of it sometimes when the going gets tough. And um, how can I bring that energy, vitality, that love in those moments where things are tough? Um, and it has happened to me, I think, especially when... Hmm, when I've experienced something that's been really grounding and then I go into a challenging period, I notice I'm more resourced. So if I'm practicing, um, like even being out here in Egypt, I am living a really beautifully aligned life. Like I'm going jogging every day in the sun, working by the beach. And, and so now I'm noticing I'm in the more difficult periods. I'm not numbing myself. I'm seeing very clearly what's happening and just being there for myself versus when I was in London and I was living this really distracted, numbing, busy lifestyle. Um, I couldn't really show up for myself. So I think if you're able to like live a lifestyle that brings out your sense of empowerment and, and love for yourself, you'll start to notice that it's there. It's innate. It's there in you. Yeah, I, I love this idea. And I think it's it's very related to this idea that maybe humans nowadays aren't able to step in their fully mature selves because they are so disconnected from their natural environments. Um, mm -hmm. Like you say that the life in London, being in this like rat race and being constantly surrounded only by stress and pollution and noise and buildings, that really changes something, I think, in the human psyche. And mm -hmm. I believe that for myself still, I don't spend enough time in nature I believe that in nature, what you just pointed at becomes more easy. It, it becomes almost obvious. It's like if you spend, I know that when I spend time in nature, I don't have to work at achieving that state. It just kind of happens to me after a few days. Would you, would you say that's the same for you? Yeah, that really moves my heart when you say that. Like yeah. it's just that it's expansive, it's easeful. There's something so healthy about just being out in nature and space the word the word spaciousness keeps coming to my mind it's like the more spaciousness that we can create in our body and our environment then the more i feel i can be there for myself um so yeah nature is easily i mean it's one of my favorite things to do is go hiking um i Yeah, I wonder if the, there are other examples for you that help you resource to then weather the more challenging times and help you to become better at relating to yourself. That's a great question. Thank you. I think for me, there's a couple of things that I see as kind of like my happy place mm. that I've created for myself or over time, you know, growing up with specifics of, of my situation that was music in the beginning. Yeah. Um, that's also, I, I believe, how I became a composer. It's because 
I had this like safe space in, in my head, which was about imagining sounds and imagining music. And that became kind of like the place where I retreat, where I can resource myself. And that still works in the sense that I can, I know that no matter how I feel, if I take time to sit down and put on some music that I really like, my mind will change, my body will change, my emotions will change. It's it's almost strange to the point where I know this is true and yet still often I resist doing it. Like there's always that moment like where you're like, should I should I indulge? Should I go for a hike? Should I go to nature? Should I listen to some music or some other things? And then that's still difficult for me to kind of like tune into that can i pause you there i'm really curious what does that dialogue looks like or sounds like in that moment what what is that point of resistance yeah for me it feels like a a laziness Mm. it's like you know if i if i want to do that if i want to go to nature if i want to put on some music that means i have to physically move my body from where i am now to the place where I can listen to music. I have to find the right way to use the app to switch on the music and so on. And those things are ridiculously tiny steps. Mm-hmm. But in those moments where everything is difficult for me, those tiny steps become huge. And yeah. overcoming that friction, so to speak, becomes more difficult. And so one of the practices that I consistently have in my life now is to reduce that friction is to make my environment and my context as conductive as possible to me doing the things that are good for me. It's kind of like a a hack of like, what can I do in my environment to make it easier for me to do the things that I know are good for me? And that has made a big difference. I love that. So you've basically orchestrated your environment to be really conducive to pleasure. Because I think that's something that disappeared during COVID for me was this accessibility, the pleasure, because I was so used to pleasure coming from ex- like from friendships, from play, from dancing, things that were no longer so accessible. Um, and so I really hear you on the laziness. Again, it's almost like there's something about because I had to create those things solo and it felt like it was less worth it. Um, yes. Yeah. It's like cooking. It's like, you know, if you would be here... I would be so happy to just cook you an elaborate meal and put a lot of energy and effort into making something beautiful. But if I do that just for myself and I'm actually not focused on that, like I'm, you know, I'm working, whatever, suddenly I'm hungry. So I don't have the intention there of pleasuring myself with a beautiful meal. It's more like I need to feed myself. Then that becomes something I'm lazy about. Like, oh, I need to do this effort now Mm -hmm. to feed myself. Yeah. And it strikes me that um, because of cultural culture saying that sort of we have to deserve pleasure work hard play hard there's all these conditions to pleasure whereas working is just expected like you know that we should be achieving and doing all the time so it's easier to reduce that friction because we're already we we feel better about our sense of self-worth when we're going out and getting things done and we forget that pleasure is our birthright that we we forget how important that is for our sense of sense of love for ourselves (laughs) um so i'd love to invite myself and others to remember that that's just as much a priority um because i know it can be easier to make excuses about why i shouldn't be engaging in those things um i love that i think if there's one thing i want to take away from this conversation hanine 
that will be pleasure is our birthright. I think that's just such a powerful message to put out there. Beautiful. Um, I, I do, I do want to be mindful of the time. Um, I think I'm going to just ask you one more question. And I think this is a question that is expected because I gave it to you uh, before this conversation started. And it's a question I like because it, it has a certain power to reverse roles. And so the question is, besides everything that I've already asked you, what is the question that you would have most liked to have received from me? Hmm. That's interesting. I wonder if, for me, there's something about how do I know when I am or can someone know when they are doing self-relating <laughs> this is going to sound so silly like well um and I guess I'm, I have this resistance sometimes to or this guilt I feel around self-relating and self-love mm. mm. and is there a nirvana like this example of the optimum way of relating to self if so what does that look like um i almost want to dispel that myth and yeah i don't know if there's a question in there mm. oh it sounds it sounds like there is for me yeah and i think something that comes up for me that might be helpful is there is only one relating to self and that's the one that is true for you right now Mm. So that's the one you work with. Yeah, that feels really liberating to hear. Because mm. I think that's the biggest challenge I face with self-relating is like I constantly feel like I'm not doing it right, I'm not enough, and I should be doing more. And I guess one thing I wanted to hear was that it self-relating is what is true for you. Such a lovely last sentence to land with. <laughs> Beautiful. Thank you so much for this conversation, Hanin. One more thing before we part ways. Um, where can people find you? What do you have to offer? What would you love to share with the people who listen to this? Oh, thank you for this opportunity. I mean, yeah, my, my baby really is the course I'm running called the Sex Homework Society. It's a nine-week course to pretty much actually develop your ability to play again and to be unleashed from all that conditioning that society has just infiltrated in us and uh yeah it's a beautiful journey that takes us through pleasure through uninhibited self-expression through consent showing up for ourselves noticing valuing our desires and so yeah people are interested they're very welcome to contact me beautiful Sex thank you honey <laughs> yeah i did i did the course myself and i found it absolutely fascinating um, I think I should do it again, really. So you can find Hanin at sexhomeworksociety.com and you can sign up there for her amazing course. Thank you so much, Hanin. This was a wonderful conversation. Thank you. Thank you. And I will see you soon. See you soon. Thank you, love. Mwah.